it feels like the best way to tap into any sort of emotion and music for me is always it has to be a very strong emotional thing um like that's why we turn to it and so if i'm not moved emotionally by something that i'm working on i feel like there's a problem uh and to try to figure out how to tap into that i always try to think through the story that i'm working on and how that relates to my own story of my own life but really it's like the human experience in general right like you look at actors like an actor doesn't need to be uh, a drug addict or like something like that in order to you know play that or access that certain emotion it's like trying to find something that's tangential enough that can get you to that emotion or like what is that what is the version of this for me like it's actually something that Kobe told me which I have used since he told me about it but like when we worked on Muse one of the first meetings I had with him he was like think about this story my story and think about each of these moments but what is your version of that in your own life like what what do these moments that feel like this in this story what do those things remind you of in your own life and write from that place emotionally and it'll be great and i feel like that's always what i'm thinking about so with king richard it's like thinking about uh with that one it's very very close it's like thinking about my own father my own parents like what they sacrificed for me the fact that my dad was very influenced by richard williams with the way that he he Uh, decided to parent me and decided before I was born he wanted me to play piano and like all these kinds of things um but really being at a place in my life where I'm recognizing how appreciative I am for that because everything I have in my life that's amazing all stems from this decision that they made or these decisions they made to like sacrifice that those things and put aside that time and and do whatever they could to make sure that I was set up to succeed Everybody to the notes notes podcast, the one hundredth episode. One hundred, one hundred, one hundred episodes. Thank you, producer Daniel. I just wanted to first say, if you're still here with us after two and a half years, a hundred episodes, I love you. We love you. I thank you for being here with us. What a journey. One thing I'm just gonna highlight. I think we should go back and forth, Trevor. One, just one thing that like we've learned, and then one thing we're thankful for over this journey of 100 episodes. For me, I'll start. The one thing that I've learned about this podcast is the value of creating space and listening. And when you do that for another person, and you really listen to them, they will open up, even if they're a stranger. To open up and tell you things that they probably have told very few people. And it's only by just looking them in the eye, seeing that they, seeing them as a person and like through your listening, showing them that they matter. And I think that's just one of the most valuable skills you can develop as a human. One thing I'm thankful for is literally every human who's a part of this project, Trevor Bumgarner, I'm thankful for you. Daniel, producer Daniel, I'm so thankful producer for Daniel. you and all the wonderful work you've been putting in. And Faking Fam from our wonderful Patreon supporters who make this possible. 
monetarily and to, you know, the wonderful people in our Discord channel that keep us up to date on what's going on in their lives and, and connect with us and, and this wonderful community, just all of it. I'm, I'm thankful for it. It's been such a beautiful journey. And to be able to speak to so many guests, so many listeners has been really like the highlight of my life since we first started. Also, uh, got engaged. Yeah, I love you. I love you very much, sweetie. Um, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. love you too. But but uh, the podcast, like, let's <laughs> the, the highlight. Sorry, but she'll understand. It's, it's but I, I think one of the learnings is from all of these guests and all of these conversations is that we're all out here working. We're all dealing with the same problems, the same. Uh, internal issues, the same internal battles. We're all somewhere along this journey towards being better. We've had incredible guests who have huge, huge IMDb pages, like our next guest, Chris Bowers, uh, and who have Wikipedia articles to those just starting off, entering the grind, or they're a couple years in, or they're listeners of this pod, and they're they're doing the same. So everyone across the gamut, and including ourselves, it's just been really humbling and encouraging to feel the love to witness them going through this journey it's frankly inspiring and it's a nice reminder to keep going be a good person if you give to your community it'll give back just get a little bit better every day speaking of that our next guest chris mm, bowers mm. we wanted a good one for you for number 100 oh yeah he, he embodies all of these things we've been talking about uh, he's got that huge IMDb sheet, <laughs> but he, he went through a journey not dissimilar to ours. He's incredibly skilled. He was uh, like a wonderful talent growing up, a jazz pianist, goes through Juilliard, you know, does a lot of ear training, shout outs, <laughs> uh, shout outs to Juilliard ear training. And then, you know, he, he wins a major competition, the Thelonious Monk competition, one of the big boys. And he's really on this trajectory to continue on as preeminent jazz pianist in that audience none other than aretha franklin and that kind of triggers <laughs> this journey uh working with the manager there this relationship he works on dear white people for netflix which has been ongoing it's an incredible show uh a certain drew has played on dear white people <laughs> so yeah, it all ties together <laughs> fast forward you know yada 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 oscar nominations uh emmy nominations uh, uh Grammy nominate all these things later. He scored the most recent Aretha Franklin movie, Respect. So talk about a full circle. A lot of you might know Chris from Green Book, who is an, an Oscar winner, incredible story about a jazz pianist between both worlds. And look at Chris now. Chris has just found his way amongst some of the, the biggest name shows and films of the most recent decade. Green Book, who amused. He got to speak with Kobe. We got Space Jam 2 with LeBron. We got King Richard, which is uh, dropping right around the time of this episode with, with Will Smith. He's working with Ava DuVernay. Shonda Rhimes with Bridgerton. Just go look him up. You've heard yeah, his just, music. Just, just Google, Google, Google the man. I can't believe just he Google. came on the podcast. He's, he's, he's the GOAT. Before we get into that, so now, now that your appetite has been wet, wet and like you're, you're, just, you're just drooling, just wanted to ask you to subscribe. Like, if you want more content like this, subscribe on Apple Music, on Spotify, so you 
get notified every time we upload a brand new episode like this join our discord come talk with us come be in the community like we've already started seeing our community interacting with each other which just blows my mind it makes me so happy seeing y'all talk to each other and hopefully in the future we're gonna try to get y'all to collab with each other can you imagine like music videos from our faking fam i'm excited for that and uh, if you want to support us monetarily, help us uh, continue to grow this podcast, like consider supporting us on Patreon, Faking Notes Podcast. Also, you can now watch these episodes. Spotify just dropped video podcasts, so we're going to have the full episode there so you can see our beautiful little faces. And we're going to be dropping full episodes and a bunch of clips on YouTube. So check us out, watch out, <laughs> and uh, enjoy this show. But without further ado... Let's get into our conversation, our 100th episode with none other than Chris Chris Bowers. I've, I've been good, man. It's been very wild. Wild. Buck wild, <laughs> uh, you know, just like the pandemic, things closing down, and then things just seemingly opening up. Have you kind of felt that happening on your end as well? Yeah, for sure. Especially like getting into um, FYC season and all that. I feel like there's so much, so many more in person events, and and uh, I kind of was so used to being able to do stuff from home. I was like, I gotta be there. I gotta like. <laughs> quick random question for you chris like how comfortable are you are with those like nasal tests now do you have it on lock or do you still kind of tear up a little bit oh yes i still tear up i still like sneeze every single time yeah Yeah. i don't think i'll ever get used to it oh man me neither dog i i just wanted to start the conversation around concerto is a conversation (laughs) What I found was the story, the film, the the music, the storytelling, it was all so powerful. And for me, I, I felt very connected, you know, as a African-American, but just hearing your grandfather's story was so compelling, especially his tenacity in a time where, you know, we weren't allowed the same access. Like, during that process and the production of of this of this wonderful little mini documentary, what was like one of the most challenging aspects of bringing this story to film? You know, it it all came about so organically in that you know the film wasn't even initially going to be about my grandfather. It was primarily going to be you know my friend Ben had reached out about making a short doc about this piece that I was working on, and then I told him my grandfather's story just because I happened to be coming from an event the day that we were meeting. And so <clears throat> that me telling him that story inspired him to, to think of us putting this together uh, in this way. And, and, you know, in that first meeting, he was like, would you maybe mind uh, interviewing your grandfather? Like, would he be interested in telling a story? And so it all came about so organically. I feel like the thing, the hardest thing was trusting that process and trusting uh, one thing that Ben and I uh, really have in common is my background in jazz and his, his background in being a magician is there's a lot of improvisation. <laughs> he, he actually, before he became a filmmaker, would like 
was a national like champion magician that <laughs> moved to, or came to LA to to uh, explore the Magic Castle and then fell out of love. With, or no, he went to Vegas after he went to the Magic Castle and and hated Vegas and then decided he didn't want to be a magician. But <laughs> this improvisatory, <laughs> this improvisatory approach to to uh, making something and collaborating always means this yes and and you know really being open to letting things evolve the way they want to evolve and when that's you know your own family story that's really hard at least for me to like just be like yeah like sure like yeah let's go with it or let, let's try it and i think it took a lot of trust uh and a lot of communication with ben and i for us to feel good about that it's such a beautiful film and the color and of course the story is absolutely insane and when you get that close up of your grandfather you just you feel his story it's just the warmth you just want to give him uh, a massive hug <laughs> yeah, uh, one, one thing that stuck out to me was the question that's kind of posed at the beginning spoiler alert but it's been out for a while you guys should have seen it already come on no. um the question was did you ever picture yourself doing what you do now and after a couple incredible years has has that answer changed? Are you still kind of in awe of just how much you've done, even throughout the pandemic? You've just been so prolific, and it's really shaping up to what seems like a wonderful life. I oh, appreciate. It. I mean, I mean, yeah, it definitely feels pretty crazy as far as how much is happening and how it's happening. And <clears throat> you know, I always imagined myself becoming a, a film composer, or ever since I was pretty young, like. Uh, 11 or 12. And so I always knew I wanted that. But I honestly, when I pictured my life, when I talked to my parents about, they're very big on having me come up with plans and talking to them about my plan. And, you know, five years from now, even if I was 12 years old. <laughs> and so I think that um, uh, back then, if I thought through what my plan would be, I figured I would kind of transition into film scoring in my 40s, maybe, or something like that. And, and it really just kind of organically happened a lot earlier for it to happen in this way. I think it's just it's still pretty baffling to me. I, I think the imposter syndrome that I was feeling in that documentary that I talked to my grandfather about, because that was the other organic thing about this. And the thing that was difficult to just be open with is Ben. Ben's prompt to me was like, just ask your grandfather whatever is on your mind and heart right now. And for me, I was like, all I can think about is how much I have crippling, like, uh, anxiety sometimes because of because of my imposter syndrome or I feel like I, I uh, am not good enough for any of these kinds of things and and how frustrating I can even be outside of my own internal dialogue and, and recognize the um, sometimes absurdity or at least like harshness of that internal conversation that's happening but it's still hard for me to like navigate and, and having that conversation with him and <clears throat> just being open about that I think was um, really amazing to to have him articulate the things that he he talked about because it's stuff that I think about all the time now just uh, you know reminding myself of belonging or you know ability or any of those kinds of things and and primarily just the fact that when I look at his uh, attitude it's such a stoic mentality and such a uh, he just focused on doing the work and doing good work and he wasn't thinking about you know, the impact he was going to make. Like, it's not like this big thing other than on his family. And I feel like being in a, in an industry where, you know, you're 
can sometimes get distracted about thinking about things that are larger than just like the human relationships you have with the people that you're connected with and like, and your connection to your craft and whether or not you're doing a good job and all that kind of stuff. And for him, he, those are the things that matter. And those are the things that I think help, help me when I feel like I, I don't understand why I'm at where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he was talking to me. No offense. You know, I, oh, yeah. we're so close, bro. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> we go way back. The, the, the camera ang- is so beautifully shot where it's like, he's talking to you. And when he was like, you need to just realize you belong. If you're there, you belong yeah. there. Because for me, it's so baffling and honestly, it's really cathartic to hear that you're also feeling the same things that are that conversation is going in my head is like, why I'm here? Like, do I deserve this? It's, should I be here? Am I worth it? Am I worthy? And so that was just really cathartic hearing him say, like, if you're there, you're there. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much you achieve, like it's important to remember that, you know, gratitude is, it's important to remember that you're, you're, you're there for a reason. And I just wanted that, that was one of the most healing things about this film. That's awesome. Personally. That's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. A little bit of perspective. So here we are 2021. We are the same distance away from green book in 2017 as your first IMDb credit, <laughs> uh, like back in 2013, Elaine Stritch shoot me. Huh. Isn't that kind of wild? Like so much has happened <laughs> yeah. since, since then. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to see that perspective. How are you feeling right now? We've come out. We're in the the long tail of the pandemic. Yeah, the long tail. <laughs> it, people. Yeah. Uh, how how is it now? Like eight eight plus years in to doing what you do now. I think for me, I just have so much more respect for the people who have been doing this for decades. I think that like, you know, uh, like I definitely coming from slightly outside of the space, you know, being more of a jazz musician or performing musician and, and a touring musician. And my first interaction with film composers on a more regular basis was really right around the time I did that documentary, like 2014 or something like that. Like before that, there are a couple of people I knew um, uh, for a while that were film composers, but that was like kind of it as far as my connection to people. Um, And so I think that like thinking about uh, how different it feels uh, now to have been in it where, you know, I think when you're outside of it, it's very, especially I think jazz musicians can be pretty, arrogant sometimes and and I was definitely guilty of that in in college and feeling like oh I can I can play anything I can play like any style of music and I can write music for, you know you listen to certain things that feel simple on the surface it's easy to kind of be like oh yeah I could do that and then you get into the complexity of everything and not only on the music level and and how things that sound simple aren't but then you get into the whole other side of this industry with uh, interacting with directors and producers and agents and all all these other things, I feel like, you know, there's so many times where the most difficult part of the process for me is trying to think about what is going to be best for the film based on the director I'm working with and like their subjective view of, of how music should be 
paired with the story and paired with visuals and all of that. And that requires understanding that person and communicating with that person in a certain way. And I've now worked with so many different directors that have so many different communication styles. And it's very easy to, when things aren't working well, when you're starting to figure, getting to those early kinks of working with somebody or getting to know somebody really, just like any other relationship, it's hard to not feel, um, thrown off balance by anything, you know, not feeling smooth and just kind of focusing on how we can focus on the process and and make sure that we're getting to where we need to be. And that all of those things on top of trying to write the best music you can under the time constraints and all that kind of stuff. I feel like at this point, I'm like, man, the people, when I look at somebody's career that's been in it for decades, it's just like, man, kudos for even just surviving, honestly. <laughs> So I, I imagine a lot of diplomacy is like super important in this industry. Would you say that? Yeah, I think diplomacy, I feel like it's all about personal relationships and, and how to have nonviolent communication and, and not like violent in obviously a physical way, but more so, you know, it's so easy when we're talking about art because art is so connected to these deep parts of ourselves to feel like when somebody says something about the art that they're saying something about us and, you know, how we navigate those things, like having a director, for example, feel <clears throat> really uh, ha- have a big problem with me writing something that isn't working. And there's a part of me that can feel offended or something that I spent so much time writing this music and and they're not recognizing that and they're just focused on the fact that it's not working or whatever, but also recognizing that here this person is in a vulnerable place where their baby in so many ways, like this film that they've put together that they care so much about, um, they want to make sure it's represented a certain way. And if there's a breakdown in communication because they don't understand music, then it's easy to get really flustered about, you know, how, uh, whether or not this is going to work or how is this going to work? And, and people respond to that difficulty and that challenge in different ways. And so being understanding of that and empathetic to where everybody is when they're, um, uh, articulating uh, what they're articulating and trying to make as safe of a space as possible. I think the best collaborators I work with do that for every collaborator. They try to make it a safe space. And I feel like that's um, diplomacy goes into that, but it's, it's, you know, really just about human connection. That's beautiful. I, it's nice hearing you praise these directors and producers because it, it's kind of crazy to think the scope of some of these films, like how big these teams are. Yes. They're a decade in. And you've also been very fortunate to work with some of the powerhouses uh, of Hollywood, some of the most creative people. We've got Ava DuVernay. We've got Shonda Rhimes. Like it's, it's A-list time, some of the biggest shows. I went to one of those. Yeah, you're right. It's the season for your considerations. A few years back, it was for Netflix, and it was when they see us. Mm. Oh, geez, I remember watching the first episode of the crowd. Me and my uh, now fiance, we we went home and watched it, and so it was a very depressing Saturday. So thank uh, thank you for that. But it was, it was super important, and I I loved you know seeing the audience watch you play. Because a lot of those people don't don't get to see live music, and to see you play, and to to speak about this film was incredible. And with these directors, I remember, I mean, Ava DuVernay comes out, and what 
I mean, it, like that is one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen in person, or like commands a room. Like yeah. she could walk out there, read the words, lyrics from Row, Row, Row Your Boat, and it would be like the most captivating thing yeah. I'd, ever, I'd ever seen. Totally. What is it like working with like some of the, the biggest in the field, some of the most creative? What is that balance like? You know, a quote that just came to my mind is something I read in some uh, book recently that it was about a baseball player. And I unfortunately don't watch baseball enough to know what his name was. But he was, he apparently used to say that when he was a kid, he was throwing the ball uh, against the side of the barn, imagining that he was in the World Series. And then when he got to the World Series, he was imagining that he was a kid throwing it against the barn and that he needed to get into that mental state of comfort and um, ease and flow really that, that happens when you're not distracted by the mask of like what all of this is and like the, the, the excitement of everything and all of that and just kind of focus on the craft and, and the game. And I feel like it's been a similar thing for me. Um, just one remembering all these people are just, humans and and that even if anybody's incredible at their craft you know i don't really see anybody as like above anyone else because of who what they've done or any of those kinds of things um at least like within this industry if you're Mm -hmm. saving lives that's maybe a different thing for me (laughs) but but um Mm -hmm. but yeah so i feel like um you know remembering those things and and yeah just trying to do a, a good job i feel like that's really that uh the thing that i recognize with all these people is they're just so focused on making sure that things are as good as they possibly can be. And they're doing that. They're demanding that of themselves and their, um, you know, chair as the director. And so I feel like those environments um, usually produce the best content. And, And luckily those creatives, I feel like create the best environments where you can thrive. Yeah. Like, uh, working with Ava, I feel like she was always trying to figure out how to communicate with me in a way that could get her points across about the emotion and what was important about each scene or each moment. But at the same time, uh, she used to always say, uh, I don't want to be too prescriptive. I want you to do this in your way. However, you fi- feel like you want to achieve that emotion, the emotion is the important part. And, you know, uh, somebody like Justin Simeon doesn't even really uh, have many notes almost ever for music. He just kind of lets me do whatever and then shows up and it's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I feel like, yeah, yeah the, the best creatives are get somebody because they believe in that person artistically and they just create the best environment for that person to thrive artistically. That's honestly like one of the most difficult aspects of anything that we do is like creating that space to let things take on a life of their own. Yeah, uh, and have the trust in that, right? That's it's so uh, it's one of the hardest aspects of being a creator. A lot of our audience is like, you know, uh, people who are in college, they're just finishing college, they're on the first steps of their career, or they're in a position where they're trying to pivot and take things to the next level. And one thing that I'd like to ask our guests, uh, especially prolific guests like you, of are like just like pretty much the processes that they do. So I I wanted to maybe step into like your brain and I wanted to know what are some basic things that you do to make sure like when you're getting ready to do your work so that you can clear your mind, get in that zone, we that flow state that we talked about, like how do you personally do that? 
Yeah, it's definitely something I've been trying to figure out more and more uh, later and finding different ways into it because there are times where um, it, it's not easiest to uh, go the usual route, essentially. But a couple of the ones that work really well for me, one is the piano, just because it's a place where I can get to that state pretty quickly. Um, it's always interesting for me how natural... Uh, when you've when you've played an, an instrument like that for so long, we've done anything, but especially with music, if you've played an instrument for that long, as you know, like you can easily get into the state where you can play a scale and like be in it and like focused on <laughs> like tone and and like uh, like rhythm, like the touch, feel, like all those things you can really get lost in very quickly, and that's how you tap into that flow state. So I feel like for me, going to the piano can quickly be a way to get there. That being said, with uh, certain things with composition, it's not as easy because I may be working out one little moment. So like playing through one little moment on piano can start to feel frustrating for me. Um, So another way that I've been doing it lately is to go to a quiet space and just visualize the process like on a very, very specific level. Like I literally go to a quiet place and think of, okay, like where was I with that piece? Now, let me like figure out what section I was working on. Like, what would I do next? Okay, so like, let me, and then I just like start basically working, but away from anything so that by the time I get up to get to the computer, I'm already. You already know what you're going to do. Yeah, and I'm already like in it instead of like sitting down the computer and then being like, oh, what do I do? Yeah. What next? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That's been helpful. That's beautiful. Thank you. How do you balance that with? the stress and the schedule because there are a few things like it working in the film industry than that deadline where they're like, eh, can, can you give me 30 minutes and you know, 48 hours it's going to the soundstage. So we're going to, we're going to record this. Like how do you handle that? Cause that's very unique to, to both jazz and classical musicians. You know, we, we know the concerts th- four months out, we're going to prepare and you know, maybe we've played this, we know the changes, whatever, but here in film, they're coming in. We got a new edit. 60 people are going to be sitting in their chairs next morning. Uh, they need music to play and it's your music. Go. How do you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the good thing with jazz is that, yeah, even though you might know when the concert is, like you might not know what you're doing on the concert. Like, <laughs> there's so many times where like I've played with people, like some huge artists and like a week before I'm like, are you going to send me music or like, and then also there's so many people that like that aspect of it. Like one of my favorite um, moments in this, there's a monk documentary and he's talking to Charlie Rouse and Charlie's asking him like, what is this an, uh, an F sharp or a G? And monk is like, yeah. And like that's it. <laughs> like, I feel like that spirit of things I always really loved. And I kind of embraced when I would as a performing artist, where like when I tour with my own band, or especially if I was doing my own show, there are times where I'm like, this is my set, but like I might change a song, I might not play a song, like I might do something completely differently, um, based on how it feels in that moment, based on like the reaction. So I think that that's actually where it can be pretty um uh, that that crosses over pretty well into the film space where like you're saying the schedule's all over the place or I'm asked to change something at the last minute or asked to change something on the stage or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like the scheduling thing is 
really tough for me. That's something that one, I mean, my assistant Sahil is like, he's the best. I don't, I mean, I always want to hire people so that they can uh, grow and then go on to do something else. And he's one of those incredibly talented people that I uh, hope his growth is a little slower <laughs> than like, <laughs> no more. So I just, uh, yeah. yeah, I just, I, I don't know what I'll do with Stay that. Stay around, bro. Yeah, yeah. He's so, yeah. so good at it, but, but he's really great at, and it's also been a long process of a system with like my studio manager as well and, and me learning what is possible and what I can do, what I what I need and and all of that. And so I feel like that's been just a constant communication. And, and I always found that the urgent things are going to take care of themselves. Like the stuff is going to get done. And even if there are times where I might uh, not feel that happy with the end product because I had to get something done or, you know, um, and then also just having the support, like having my studio manager and I have a couple of assistants and like, you know, being really specific with how they can best help on all these different projects, especially when you get into um, things like conforms and, and uh, you know, small notes and those kinds of things that, you know, would really be helpful to have as many hands on deck as possible. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a huge work in progress, but primarily having the support of an incredible team and me just constantly trying to uh, do, I, I have so many, I've read so many books on organization and like to-do lists and how to do things and like looking at uh, the tech space on like how they, you know, approach things like agile or scrum or like all these different things that they do mm-hmm. with like workflows and all that kind of stuff and trying to adapt some of that. So yeah, just trying to find anything that'll help. I love that's that. beautiful. I love that. I'm currently like in a stage of my life where I need that personally, and that it, we're actually we have Daniel, producer Daniel here uh, on the Faking This podcast. Has been really just absolutely pun intended instrumental to <laughs> the production of this podcast and like help helping us take it to the next level. And and I'm wondering like. What was, who was your first hire and like, how did you really get frame that and like learn how to really manage your, your like first team member? Cause for yeah. me, that's like the stage I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, my first hire is this great composer named Logan Nelson, who, uh, went to USC. Um, he's like been doing great stuff since we stopped working together. Like he works with Carter Burwell right now a bit and he's done some like national geographic things and. Um, yeah, but he, I first met him through, uh, I think another friend of ours, like another composer that went to USC that recommended him. Actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a composer, this composer Forrest Gray was another incredible composer. Yeah, it, it was a difficult process, <laughs> like learning how to, how to work with someone. One, for me, the biggest thing was learning what and how to delegate because I didn't really know how to do that. Like even communication with people in the beginning of working with an assistant was something that was difficult for me to let go of and, and trust somebody with and trust somebody who's going to like represent me correctly or, or the way at least I want to be represented. And uh, even communication for me in times of difficulty, you know, I think there were so many moments where I had to recognize and realize that like, I remember very early on, there's a couple of times where I had to ask him if he could, you know, be paid like in the second week of the month because I couldn't, I didn't have enough, you know, cash flow to clear him on the first week of the month. And like, you know, those types of things that are, uh, can be really embarrassing, really like difficult to, to 
swallow and come to terms with and and how much I have to appreciate somebody's belief in me as a uh, uh, creative, but also as a boss that they're going to trust that, that their income and their livelihood is going to be okay and secure with me. You know, I think that all those things presented a lot of like um, triggers for myself or, or like insecurities or things that I needed to kind of figure out how to navigate and figure out how to not let uh, that be you know, his problem as far as like how I was articulating it or, or coming across or yeah. And, and, and I think the other thing too, is understanding that um, learning who these people are for themselves and not trying to find somebody to, um, to be me essentially. Cause I think that there's a part of it that feels like, you know, you, oftentimes even with friends, we get frustrated with someone because they're not doing something the way that I would do it. And it feels frustrating that like, you know, uh, why didn't you edit this way that I would do it? Or why didn't you, you know, um, write this the way that I would do it? Or like any of these kinds of things that feel like frustrating. Uh, I had to start understanding that um, it was ridiculous for me to be looking for from him. And, and I need to get to know who this person is and, and what they're best at. And, you know, not not try to ask him to do something that doesn't come naturally or something like that. Wow. I actually knew Logan Nelson way back when he was in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Like he was just this young. Are you from Kansas as well? No, but I went to a UMKC composition thing and there was this young, smart, incredibly talented, almost as tall as me already, like 13 year old or something. <laughs> and like here he is out in LA crushing it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a small world, but yeah, that's awesome. It, it's, it's really neat hearing you talk about the team because that's something that doesn't really come up in in jazz or classical like having a team it, it's not like you necessarily like hop out like okay assistant i need you to sit on the keys right now and you take over the left hand because the right i really got to figure like it just doesn't happen you know we're in our own world and then to have studio managers and assistants and other writers and you know you take this help me out with this set up my computer because there's so much chaos it's really neat to hear how much energy is put into that organization and for instance how you mentioned your collaborations with like Ava DuVernay or something, how she's providing space and really, you know, elevates the people for their individuality and like, how can they fit in? It seems like you're doing the same with your team, which isn't often the case uh, uh, in, in a lot of film composer studios. So it's neat hearing you foster that. Obviously some work's got to get done but <laughs> to allow people um, the space and like treating them well. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate it. Sorry, you guys are seeing me go get a charger. I realize oh, I, I, like, I, I know it's the shuffle, man. You don't want got- the computer to die, man. It's like, uh, wait, I thought this thing was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, man, I, I definitely feel like, you know, again, coming from outside of the the film score space, that what, that's what feels right to me just because, uh, like, I knew that I never wanted to like assist anybody or write any additional music for anybody. Like that's just something that I wasn't that uh, interested in doing. Cause I, I felt like I might have um, once I started having a couple of projects under my belt, it started to feel like maybe I can at least make this work. And I don't know what's going to yeah. happen or how that's going to work. But I remember deciding to move to LA when I got dear white people, I had a couple of other smaller projects 
And I just felt like, you know what, I'm just going to go out here and see if this works and, and uh, like not really think about touring for a while and just try to focus on film scoring and didn't really care about the, the uh, instability of it. <laughs> and I think that like, I've always, <laughs> I've always kind of been that way. Um, even as a touring musician, like leaving people's bands because I wanted to be in a different band that was actually like less stable and paid me less money, but I liked the music or touring with my own band, even though it was even less stable than all those things and, and could be financially, <laughs> uh, financially really difficult. And, uh, but me feeling like that's something I wanted to pursue. So yeah, I feel like when I be, started to hire people, um, a lot of the composers that were also excited about working with me, I think were excited about my trajectory. They were excited about the fact that, that I was a younger composer working on exciting projects and they wanted that for themselves. And for me getting into this space, the way that I have where I recognize that so much of it is like not bureaucratic, but like there's so many things where you think about getting a, a, a studio project, for example, or a network TV show and how much of that is catch 22, where when I was going up for my first projects, the question was always like, well, what else has he worked on? Has he ever worked on a TV show before? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, so can I have a, a TV show? <laughs> this one, this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that recognizing the fact that it wasn't really about the music at a certain point, it was really about, can we trust this person to do the job and get the job done in a timely matter and, and trust them with this budget and trust them with all these things. And like, the experience needs to be there. The quick, quicker I realized that like, one, how do I achieve that experience for myself and, and try to continue to, to build that for myself at that time. But now being uh, that I'm hiring people, recognizing that this can be a space for them to get experience. So then they can be ready for their project. Like this is not a space for you to come work here and then work here forever. My, some of my favorite composers I know worked for some other composer at some point and got their own project and became their own person. And I also feel like excited by some of the people that have decided to come work for me because of how much they're, you know, have are from different backgrounds and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like that feels like an important priority to me to be a space where those people can also um, be lifted up in a way where they're then able to go on and do their own things. Um, yeah. It's paying it forward. Instead of being concerned with being the king, you're, you're concerned with being a king maker, king or queen maker. Yeah, 100%. I, mean, I feel like there's so much uh, material out here and also like, um, yeah, trying to uh, – people are only going to be invested in, in something if they feel like they have some sort of uh, skin in the game as well. You know what I mean? Like I think that if somebody's going to come work for me, I want to make sure that they know that I'm looking out for them as well, because I appreciate how much they're sacrificing for, for me and for this company and for, for what we're working on. And so, you know, I don't want them to feel like that's in vain or, or that's only for, you know, whatever they can make out of it that I definitely want to try to pay pay them back with uh, action as well. And people remember that. that you're cre- you're fostering the next next generation and so speaking of kings and coaching up the next round of uh superstars including <laughs> yourself 
we got we got King uh, King Richard on the way. <laughs> how's, how's that going along? Are you at the end of the process? Hopefully, you get to sleep. Is it in the can? Yeah, um, yeah. Sleep, sleep is a rarity for me, but I feel like um, th- this one is uh, is completely done. Yeah, we finished that a little while ago, and um, really excited about actually going to the premiere this weekend. And um, yeah, it feels like a pretty special. Not only a special film, but a, a special score for me as far as like, yeah, how I felt to write for that. I personally can't wait. It's on my, it's on my, uh, 2C list with, with my girlfriend. Like we have like, we mostly been like staying in cause you know, theaters and closed yeah. spaces, it's still kind of, but we're like, we're going to risk it for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Will. We got to support Will. Yeah, exactly. We gotta, we gotta support Will. Big Willie style, man. <laughs> We actually had a guest on here named Kyle Price. He's a cellist. But he, he's talked about ballet and basketball and how they helped him as a musician, like wow. develop I mean, those life experiences helped him develop musically. And I was wondering if like, is there anything non-music related that you're, that you've been into your entire life that you've picked up recently that adds to your, your musicality as a musician or your process? Yeah, definitely. I, I always try to find ways to connect everything. I feel like I've read so much about how my favorite um uh actually like the greats in any field did that you know thinking about like if i read a book about da vinci or looking up things about elon musk even if i might not agree with his like political yeah. stance but i feel like it's, <laughs> yeah his is uh brilliance he, it's he often talks about you know relating things from different um fields uh, to see how it might create a different perspective with something. And Kobe was also big on that. Like he used to talk about finding, um, uh, he talked about deciding how he wanted to uh, work on his jump, his fadeaway jumper based on watching videos of a cheetah because the cheetah used uh, its tail for balance when it's making quick turns. And so Kobe thought if I kick my leg out, maybe that'll help me have more balance when I'm trying to like do these like turn fadeaways. And then similarly, when he said when he was guarding uh, Iverson, Iverson was so fast that he was like chasing him around the court and he was getting really tired. And he was watching something else about, I guess he watched a lot of nature documentaries. He was, <laughs> he was, watching, <laughs> he was an animal himself. He was watching um, a documentary about sharks and noticed that sharks just circle around seals until the moment they know that they can strike. They don't chase the seal around to catch it. And so he decided just to like, kind of like hover around Iverson until the moment that he saw that he could like go at him and hearing those kinds of things. I always try to figure out um, how I might relate something from another space into something that I'm working on. Like uh, I think a few examples, one, the tech thing that I was talking about before, like my studio manager and I are constantly talking about, the way that the tech world approaches workflow and getting work done and how we can uh, adopt some of those, those things like, um, you know, doing sprints or, or uh, again, having this agile approach to like 
the workflow. Um, and then also lately I've been um, like getting more into physical fitness. Like I never really was into it that much. When I was like a chubby kid for most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, you got to um, practice, man. You got to practice. Exactly. Yeah. Was piano, talking about yeah. practice. Yeah. Like chips right next to the, the piano. <laughs> I got Hershey's kisses on the, on the stand. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, like, you know, getting more and more into physical fitness, especially lately with the trainer and all the kind of stuff, like, you know, the way he was approaching, keeping track of my, um, uh, weight and like food I took to like keeping track of my practice, uh, regimen. And then also, even just thinking about breath and like the focusing on breath as you're trying to stay present with working out feels so similar to some of the other things when it comes to being a musician. Um, and lastly, I'll say just, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist just as badly as I wanted to be a, a pianist. And I was always really, really visual and loved creating like worlds and stories and all these things. And so that's been something that's also found its way into my compositional approach where like I just wrote this uh, this horn concerto for the for the LA Phil and for the process I was like pulling I came up with this story and then started pulling shots from this website called Shock Deck which Shot Deck which are just um like still images from incredible movies like the best still images from any movie and you can like search it by keyword and so I'll you know, like one of the images in the story in my mind is fire. So I would like search for fire and like pull the images that felt texturally the way that I wanted the story to feel. And I found that that was really helpful for me to get at a specific emotion sonically. If I actually saw an image that felt like it had a very specific color and weight and like vibe to it, that, that kind of helped me tap in a bit better. Hmm. <laughs> I I love the your your photography because I know uh, in past talks you've mentioned it. You, you go to your website and it's not a list of of all these awards and all the shows and a bunch of movie posters to start. It's just this beautiful photo of nature, <laughs> and I'm just like, am I, am, is this the right Chris Bowers? <laughs> and then you scroll, and I'm like, oh okay, this is great. But it's just like beautiful, peaceful, calm that resonates from you, and. It, it reminded me very similar of our conversations with Anthony McGill, principal mm -hmm. clarinetist in New York Phil. The opening 30 minutes of that conversation is about meditation and mm. zen spiders. spiders. <laughs> yeah, like I don't wait, like I was like, I was like, oh, we're skipping the spiders. You know, we'll say the clarinet. <laughs> clarinet can wait. You know, Obama can wait. We'll we'll talk about spiders. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm I'm curious. So let's let's spend a little bit of time about Green Book. Incredible mm. film, had a lot of success. And of course, the story with Don Shirley living between both worlds, you know, kind of caught between this jazz classical mm. zoom past the uh, like awful historical reasons that kind of <laughs> relegated uh, him to that nature. But working on that film and kind of looking at that turning point in your career where you're also, you know, you win the Thelonious Monk competition, a lot of success in jazz. Also, a lot of success in film. Film's picking up. Do you find yourself wiggling between worlds? Did you relate to that story at all, or is it is it all film? Like, how does how is it like working on all these historical films? Like, when they see us, we get King Richard, and of course Green Book. Relating yourself and kind of finding yourself in these historical uh, documents. What's that like? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's um, a big part of the process for me because. 
it feels like the best way to tap into any sort of emotion and music for me is always it has to be a very strong emotional thing um like that's why we turn to it and so if i'm not moved emotionally by something that i'm working on i feel like there's a problem uh and to try to figure out how to tap into that i always try to think through the story that i'm working on and how that relates to my own story of my own life but really it's like the human experience in general right like you look at actors like an actor doesn't need to be uh, a drug addict or like something like that in order to you know, play that or access that certain emotion. It's like trying to find something that's tangential enough that can get you to that emotion. Or like, what is that? What is the version of this for me? Like, it's actually something that Kobe told me, which I have used since he told me about it. But like, when we worked on Muse, one of the first meetings I had with him, he was like, think about this story, my story, and think about each of these moments. But what is your version of that in your own life? Like what, what do these moments that feel like this in this story, what do those things remind you of in your own life and write from that place emotionally and it'll be great. And I feel like that's always what I'm thinking about. So with King Richard, it's like thinking about uh, with that one, it's very, very close. It's like thinking about my own father, my own parents, like what they sacrificed for me. The fact that my dad was very influenced by Richard Williams with the way that he, he, uh, decided to parent me and decided before I was born, he wanted me to play piano and like all these kinds of things. Um, but really being at a place in my life where I'm recognizing how appreciative I am for that because everything I have in my life that's amazing all stems from this decision that they made or these decisions they made to like sacrifice that those things and put aside that time and, and do whatever they could to make sure that I was set up to succeed. But even with something like Mrs. America and Phyllis Schlafly and like that, you know, for me, it feels like I have so many family members that have political or moral or religious views that I don't agree with. And uh, I still love them as people. And so like, how do I see this, this person as a human, uh, Phyllis Schlafly, how do I see her as a human and, and write this complex character, uh, write music for this complex character that although we despise a lot of what she stands for, we still need to feel for her in moments where we want her to succeed or we want her, um, or we feel bad that she's failed or any of those things. So I feel like I always try to relate these things to something that can get me to a personal emotion or feeling and then, uh, you know, right from there. I never thought of myself as a composer, but like, I've always wanted to. Mm. And I feel like the last 10 minutes or so of this conversation, you've like unearthed some real keys, not only getting started down the process of, of creating something from nothing. And if you're listening as a listener, faking fam, like that last moment of like, taking something that is foreign to you, like an emotion or a person or perspective, and then finding that schema that overlaps, like mm-hmm. that one thing it has in common, latching onto that, planting that seed mm-hmm. and watering it. And I'm like just personally inspired and thankful for you sharing that with us. I think that's really powerful. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I love the way you just articulated that. I wish I could have articulated it that succinctly. That was great. <laughs> it's from you, man. It's from you. Yeah. We're just, we're just, we're passing it. We're passing it back. But, uh, thanks again for Chris, for coming on. And I just wanted to wrap up so we can let you go on very busy. 
a concerto is a conversation. Let's say we're 60 years from now, you're your grandfather's age, but you, you also, you're still looking great because you, you put the <laughs> chips away. And, you know, advancements in technology, yep. you've been in film industry for you know, 70 years at this point. <laughs> um, what, what questions would you ask your younger self? What advice would you tell the 30 something men? Oh, I don't even know. I think right now I'm feeling like, uh, you know, if I'm going to make it there, just focusing on, on my health and focusing on the things that are, that I can't control that'll, that'll help make, you know, the ride to that age feel as good as possible, you know, focusing on the relationships of the people around me. You know, I think the thing also about having these, uh, amazing things happen in my career in the last couple of years. Also at the same time as like, you know, the pandemic and all these things that, that feel very real and very difficult and very sad and, and any other difficulties I've had in my own personal life and all that kind of stuff on top of the great things. Like, you know, I could have a 70 year career. Uh, and if, if I don't have the, uh, the, people in my life for the love in my life for like those kinds of things, then, you know, what is, what is it worth? And also just having my own health, you know, what is it worth if you don't have those things? So I feel like lately that's definitely what I've been focusing on is how to uh, take care of my, myself and, and the people around me and, uh, and, you know, the music after that. Mm. That's beautiful, man, man. I, I, I hate to be presumptuous, Chris, but like, I want to hang out, man. Like yeah. you're like such a wonderful human being. I love the way you think. I'm inspired by your creativity. I don't know, faking fan. Like this is this is a one you need to replay. There's so many gems here, and I'm just thankful for you being here with us, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Our Thanks pleasure. for coming through, Chris. We'll talk to you uh, in 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on. We'll have you back on. Yeah, we'll do that. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. We'll, be back. Yeah, we'll run it back. <laughs> Space Jam 12. We'll be ready. I say nothing comes from dreamers but dreams. I say sitting idle in our boat while everyone else is down the Nothing comes from talkers but sound We can talk all we want to But the world still goes around 